1: opportunity and the gift and the responsibility response able to live with intent every wisdom tradition every teacher that i know has said the single most powerful resource we have as humans is our awareness is our consciousness is our choicefulness whatever word you choose to use for that right um so to use to be aware of that that's an empowering aspect and my most precious resource, and to make life choices and decisions accordingly, that's what I think makes, that, that's the most powerful aspect of being human. <laughs>
0: Hey everyone, it's Vasavi Kumar, licensed therapist and your host of the Being Human with Vasavi podcast. For over two decades, I have been relentless when it comes to understanding and figuring out why we think the way we do, what stops us from going after our dreams, and how to get anything we want in life. From Mind Body Green to VH1 to Fox News and some of the top-rated podcasts out there, my message has always been consistent. When you know yourself, you can do anything. I've helped thousands of people from all walks of life, from stay-at-home moms to entrepreneurs to people in recovery to start thinking differently and change themselves from the inside out. And I'm going to do the same for you, whether it's through the interviews I have with my guests or answering your questions right here on the show. Here's my promise to you. If you're willing to take action on even one percent of what you hear today, your life will be unrecognizable. Get ready for unfiltered and unscripted conversations with some of the brightest people in mental health, marketing, relationships and business. We're pulling back the curtain so you can see what it really takes to be human and become the person you want to be here on the Being Human with Vasavi podcast. Today, my guest is Paul Zelizer, who is the founder and the host of Awarepreneurs Podcast and the Awarepreneurs community. We're recording this episode, uh, the date is June 1st, 2020, with everything that's going on right now um, in the aftermath of George Floyd and really highlighting that if you are someone who has been unwilling to or has far too long looked away from the injustices and the lives of black people in our country and how they are treated for the past 400 years, then um, this episode is for you. If you are a, a white male listening and you want to start to ask yourself those questions, what do I need to do? What's my part in all of this? Please listen in. Paul is a white male Jew who has been on the journey of really looking at himself and unpacking his own privilege. And um, one of the most mindful people I have come across. He's very deliberate with the words that he uses. He's very conscious about how he speaks. And I love that about him. And I respect him for that. And we, we talk a lot about anger and how to uh, turn your fire into fuel for change, and um, how to really start to take that first step when it comes to looking at who you are and your contribution in this world and unpacking your own biases and your privilege. And if you're not a white man or a white female, you're still going to get a lot of value out of this conversation because at the end of the day, we are human. And... um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on our parts as individuals so that we can make a change collectively and as a community. So um, listen in. I hope you enjoy today's episode. If you have any questions, you can always email me. Information is going to be at the very end. So uh, make sure you listen to the entire episode. Enjoy.
1: There were... There was rioting that happened. Police got shot at. We had an active shooter in an apartment building, and they shut down a major highway. Like anyway, this you know, there are helicopters flying. I live in downtown. There are helicopters flying over my house all last night. I didn't sleep that well. You know. Anyway, um, pointing. I'm I'm personally good, and the world's a mess.
0: That's kind of uh I I'm, I'm thank you for painting that picture. So just for everyone listening, it's uh June first and um a lot has gone on, you know, it's it's funny because with the with the virus of hate that's being spread, coronavirus seems like nothing. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like what corona what? You know what I mean? And it but yet it's all I feel like um everything's all tied together. And I, you know, you know, before I said, you know, sat down to come here and to interview you. I thought to myself, I was like, okay, usually I would want to hear about, and I still want to hear about the community that you've created, Awarepreneurs. I want to hear about your podcast, the Awarepreneurs Podcast, which I have the honor of being on your podcast. But then I was like, boss, what's going on right now needs to be talked about. And I'm and I'm especially excited to talk to you because you are a white man living through all of this right now. And what I love about you and what I respect about you. Is that you are willing to have those difficult conversations? You are willing to be uncomfortable. You're w- willing to examine your privilege. And I just, I, I I know this sounds kind of like a silly question, but I'm just going to ask it. Like, when did you wake up and re and start to do the work on yourself as a white man, and even start to look at white privilege and 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 just really how you're able to show up in your full humanity when so many people are not like. Because I want to preface it like this, I know a lot of white men in my life, and I don't, even, I can't even count on my fingers how many of them are as open and as conscious and as aware as you are. So, when did that begin for you? When did you start to really take a hard look at your whiteness and your privilege?
1: Hmm, it's a it's a beautiful and complicated question to ask me. The the honest answer is thousands of years ago. Um, I'm Jewish. And I was raised in a time when in our education um, as a Jew, I'm, I'm 52 years old, and I went to Sunday school. So just kind of put in a time and a context, um, kind of second generation post-Holocaust. And part of our Education, like literally, I remember in the third grade seeing movies of mass graves and bulldozers pushing Jewish bodies into mass graves, and our education was never again. Right? Mm-hmm. We we were told to look for certain things and try to do your work, not just never again to the Jewish people, but in the progressive, more Jewish, the more progressive end of the spectrum that I grew up in. Um, that's just what we do. Um, there's it doesn't mean we've been perfect i've screwed up a lot and you know it's complicated cuz i grew up in you know Westchester County a very resourced suburb you know very my my parents were part of the white flight out of new york city um moved to the suburbs you know 1968 i don't think there was you have to go about a mile from where i lived to where the, a person of color lived and there were very few people of color that i went in my um town so it's it's very complicated my background and I've been unpacked. then I'm 1993 I moved to New Mexico the most diverse state in the country and was doing community work and have been trying to unpack what I've learned and the complexities of you know having the skin and the body I have but also having the knowledge of what um, hate crimes and what intergenerational Um, inequality looks like, it's, it's not easy being anybody in America, and it's certainly complicated being in a male, Jewish, very lightly melanated body, but also taught that it's part of our job to be in these conversations, and it's part of our cultural, we won't survive if we don't have these conversations, is what our elders taught us.
0: Did you ever have any resistance around taking a look at yourself and the body that you're in and the skin that you're in? Were you ever like, whatever, like that doesn't affect me. Like, okay, whatever. Like, you know, just kind of that apathetic, what we see so much, right? Apathy is the enemy. Did you ever have have a resistance around looking at yourself?
1: Let's take a quick break.
0: Having been in therapy since the age of 12, I know firsthand just how powerful the process of finding the right therapist is. Going to therapy and talking things out with my therapist has made me happier, clearer, and most importantly, I have a plan for my mental health. I have tools to be able to communicate with others and also the tools to cope when life gets hard, which it does. So let me ask you a question. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, Therapy can give you tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get. Matched with the therapist. There's a link in my description. It's betterhelp.com forward slash Vasavi. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Vasavi. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with the therapist and see if it helps you. And because finding a therapist is a little like dating, if you don't really fit with that therapist, which is a common thing with therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost without stressing out about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. I don't know where I would be without the help of therapy and my therapist, but I do know that life would feel that much harder. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com forward slash Vasavi. Thank you again, BetterHelp, for supporting this
1: podcast. Of course, you know, of course, and it's been many layers and i still am very much taking risks and trying to learn i would say um you know i started my 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 first kind of dedicated like clear step when i was 21 years old i got involved with an organization it was a, a men's organization that was working to end men's violence against women and i started to get trained to do batterers intervention at 21 years old so and and i stand on the shoulders of people like my grandma edie who was organizing busloads of women when she was 80 years old and retired and lived in new york city she organized two busloads of women to go from new york to Washington, D.C., where there's a march for women's right to choose at a time when that was, again, being threatened like it is now. Um, Again, I I grew up with a certain, like, people in my tradition did the best we could, although it was very complicated. And, um, for instance, relationship between Jews... And Black people in New York City is, ugh, you want not know, talk about complicated, right? It's it, At times, we've been each other's allies. At times, there's been horrendous anti-Blackness in the Jewish world. There's been horrendous anti-Semitism from the Black world. It's complicated. But I grew up in those complexities. It wasn't like the first time I heard some of these was... You know, last week, <laughs> yeah when we saw videos or last year or the year before that it was literally in my blood for generations. and it's also really complicated because I am as passing for a white man as it could possibly be, even though when you ask me how do I think of myself, I don't think of myself as culturally white, although that's what got layered on me. I think of myself as culturally Jewish. and uh, yet, unless I tell somebody that they don't know that. Right. So it's just, yeah, it's a great question. And because I was groomed in a place, you know, we're talking about the kind of public schools that get more um, dollars per student than 99% of districts in America. That's where I grew up right early access to computers and special enrichment classes and, paid for by the school SAT like prep classes like that doesn't happen everywhere especially you know now um so it's been a constant journey of like seeing things and not seeing things and like I don't want to hear this and it's uncomfortable but like the world I want to pass on to our children you know I have a 20 year old daughter she turned 20 yesterday Mm -hmm. what do I want for them and if I don't look at that what are they, what's life going to be like for them on planet Earth? And we see the mess we've created now, right? So complicated answer and complicated person who's trying to keep moving in the direction of healing and ending inequality as best I know how.
0: Well, one of the things that I, that always stands out to me, because you know, I'm friends with you on Facebook. <clears throat> I've heard your podcast. I've been on your podcast what i love about you that i don't think a lot of people are willing to do is call out names call out you know call out the uncomfortableness speak life into that which is painful which a lot of people are just so willing to just kind of turn the other way and you are you know you you have a podcast you have a platform and you are someone that i believe truly uses it for good and i'm wondering did you and i and i honestly don't know the history did you start your Awarepreneurs podcast? Did you start your Facebook group, uh, which is growing every day, as a result of the work that you've done on yourself and that you continue to do?
1: That's a great question. Um, I'm a big believer in understanding our why. What are our values about doing certain things? And I have, you know, three just personally there's there's different slightly different values for the company called awarepreneurs but my personal values there's only three a very wise man taught me that when you start doing these long lists of core values and you get into moments of poignancy you forget what they are right it's too complicated make it really simple so my three personal core values um are tikkun or tikkun alum which is the jewish language for The great healing kind of social justice combined with working towards a better world is maybe how it gets translated into english it's literally one of my core values and the other two are um mutuality and uh adventure right those that's like that's what i'm here to do that's what i'm all about right um and yes i did so a, a beautiful i tell this story to, uh, tomorrow's episode that goes live in the Awarepreneurs podcast the first ever solo episode just paul usually i'm talking to people like you mm. and trusting that the dialogue is um the, the key like who i invite in um but tomorrow's the first ever episode just solo just paul talking And the the episode is what are you doing the title what are you doing to end racism Right? What, do you, what, do you work, what are you doing to work towards the end of racism? I, I think, or whatever, I'll, I can look it up. But, uh, and I tell three stories. And one of the stories I tell is a fabulous woman who I've known for at least a decade now, Lisa Renee Hall. If anybody doesn't know Lisa's work, highly recommend it. She's a genius. She uses writing uh, and writing prompts to unpack conscious bias. So as opposed to like just getting here is like all the things you need to know about diversity and equity and inclusion and all the places where people get blind spot and how this goes wrong, and what, like she just, let's write. Here's a question for Eva. It's just such a genius approach because it's contained, you write, you get to process, you're not like verbally saying out loud until you've had a little time to sit with it and get some coaching in her beautiful prompts about how to work with some things, and then share in this exquisite way. And Lisa says, writing is my activism. Writing is my activism. And Lisa and I have known each other for decades. She's been doing this form of her work probably, I think it was 2017 that she launched it. Um, And her, like, I love to write and I love other things, but I was like, that's not quite it. And yeah, I started my podcast just a little before that. And I was like, we but we had been talking, not just with Lisa, but this is a good example. And I was like, podcasting, that's my platform, right? Mm -hmm. Most other like marketing forms or things in the marketplace are these like you have to do these like little sound bites. You have to make a meme, or you have to do the like four-minute YouTube video. And I'm like, excuse my friends, but this shit is so complicated and painful and intergenerational trauma and how the heck am I supposed to unpack all this and be a warm and relational human in the midst of all that? And then I was like, podcasting. It's all about storytelling and connection and relationship. And I, I was feeling, you know, I'd already been feeling and trying to live my life that way. But certainly in 2016, with our current leadership came into the US, like many of us, It's like time to up my game and in conversations with my community and my the the leaders that I turn to and I'm like ah I need to go deeper I need to there's something missing in what I'm doing that's what emerged it was such a you know the average awarepreneur's podcast is 55 minutes long Um, The average podcast in general is 43 minutes long. That's a deep dive container compared to most of what's out there in an attention deficit environment. And I just like, yes, that's where I can go. So now podcasting is my activism.
0: So you use your voice and the voice of others to really highlight the issues that are going on, because you're so right about storytelling. And I think that's really where apathy comes in. And Uh, why I feel a lot of people in the white community who don't really get what's going on and the pain of it is because, you know, it takes a large emotional capacity to be with the pain of the stories of black lives, right? It is is painful to listen to. It is painful to watch, yet it's become so normal, literally on our phones, to watch somebody being killed. And so I think you creating a platform where people are sharing their stories and bringing that awareness to your audience is really the first step i I gotta ask you this because um i think you know i i I see you as someone who's very calm and i love it i'm so so
1: not always well
0: that's what i'm getting to and i wanna i wanna ask you this because First of all, if, if, if you or people are not outraged by what's going on, that's a serious issue. For me, it's like yeah. if you're not angry and you're more angry about rioting rather than the murder, there's a huge problem with that.
1: Yeah, go away. I got no time for that, shit.
0: I got no time for that. You know, as a licensed therapist and also I have my master's in education, what we're always taught is look at the cause and the effect, right? A child mm-hmm. acting out you can't really focus on the reaction. You're not supposed to, because no one just acts like that for no reason. Right? Like there's a, there's a root cause for everything. And anger, I think is something that um, people shy away from being angry because it's a, it's an all consuming emotion. Yes. And I'm curious with you because you you, obviously, you you know, you're not going to be shouting on the podcast. Like you're not going to be shouting and angry on this podcast, but how do you deal with your anger? Because Hmm how do you deal with your anger? Actually, I'll just, I'll just stop right there. How do you deal with your anger, with the outrage of what's going on in the
1: world? That's a great question, Vasavi. Two, a bunch of things come to mind, but in the interest of being concise, I'd say two. One is, and you can relate to this, I think you I know a little bit about your journey. When I was 17 years old, I was um, out of control with drugs and alcohol. And after a particularly painful incident, um and where i was feeling a lot of shame and embarrassment over some things that i had done a very wise woman said to me we we sat down she's a family friend and she said paul look you are wired for poignant experiences and this goes one of two ways you either have a lifetime of drama and addiction or probably die young or there are these things called awareness practices there are many kinds of them basically what she said, I don't care, I don't care which one you pick, but just pick one. Mm. And if you do, you'll live a life of service, you'll be happy, and you'll feel like there's, um, at the end of your life, that it was a life well lived. And I heard her at 17 years old, like, she wasn't trying to get me to go to her brand of something. Matter of fact, she didn't mention, she, she said nothing about which one. She just explained my own nervous system to me biggest gift i mean it changed the trajectory of my life right so i've had a dedicated spiritual practice i just said earlier i'm 52 years old i started when i was 17. we know from long-term studies you know i know you're a little bit of neuro geek too vasavi right um i'm joking you're alive i'm a huge geek actually i know you are i totally know you (laughs) so we know that there's long-term effects of having some sort of conscious practice in your life and you know so that's part of it the other part of it is because i have a sense of clarity what i'm doing with the podcast and and with the awarepreneurs in general very specifically the way i think about it and the way i've learned to language it is my job is to amplify so if i'm screaming in the mic energetically or literally then when vasavi comes on on a guest there's no room for you if i'm taking up my job is to go find people like you who are having look at the conversation we're already having and how are you working with people what are you seeing in your community how are you responding how do you turn that into a social enterprise a business that actually pays the bills those are that's really important to our audience like how do you actually do the deep work with an awareness of what's happening socially and not disappearing it and actually taking it right on, head on, no spiritual bypass whatsoever and pay the bills. That's why people listen to our podcast and go right there and then get out of the way and do it again. And when things got really intense, I went from, you know, my screaming is I went from doing one episode a week to two episodes a week, just do more of it. Because it's very incredibly effective for at least our audience getting a lot of feedback and it changed I can't tell you, about, see how many people say, hearing you or Lisa Renee Hall or God, it could go on forever and ever. You know, there's a lot of ways those conversations change people's lives. So if I am screaming, Yes, I feel a lot of anger and I turn that into energy and I just like I said, all right. Where's the leverage point? The podcast is getting leverage. Go from one episode to two. Right? And like keep going where the I, one of the pains in my heart is I'm seeing a lot of people with the energy and the heat and the concern and the urgency they're feeling they don't have that leverage. So they're kind of spewing or they're like getting into fights on social media with people who, you know, uh, trying to change some really entrenched white guy who like doesn't give a damn about you, but you just happen to have a Facebook friend and you like burn yourself out there. I appreciate people who are doing that, but is that the best use of your energy? It's not for me, right? Um find that place where there's a really clear and deliberate mechanism in place and that the longer we've now been going for three years with the podcast and like i said we just went from one episode to two and we're one of the better known podcasts in our space if i keep being wise or if i've been wise at all (laughs) and and who i invite into those into that chair and then um, and keep my focus on it's not about me it's about amplifying the medicine for these times go find the medicine and amplify it then i don't have to scream i just bring that poignancy into the conversation and like finding the best possible guests with the best medicine for our time
0: i wrote down fire turn your fire into fuel for change yes because i think misdirected by the way anger is a great tool i learned this in recovery i learned this you know through all my you know group sessions when i was an inpatient in residential rehab um the most anger that i had was towards myself ultimately when i stopped blaming my parents society my exes and i realized how angry i wasn't myself that i didn't know better that i had allowed myself to hurt myself and as a result, hurt other people, you know, because w- when you hurt yourself, you hurt other people. Addiction, yeah. and this is not a conversation fully about addiction at all, but you know, it is a it is a family problem, right? It affects everybody. Like one person yeah. who's sick in the family affects everybody. It's a yeah. disease. And I realized how angry I was and I, um, at first that anger was really debilitating. I hated myself so much. I hated yeah. myself so much for, not knowing better and -hmm. then i i don't know what snapped i don't think it was like one pivotal moment at all but it was definitely i was like okay well i'm gonna do something with this anger because this anger is gonna kill me if i don't i mean literally i'm gonna get a heart attack at like 37 36 you know 36 37 so i said okay what am i gonna do and so i really used that anger to change myself from the inside out and it's funny because we talk a lot about you know in the in the personal growth self-development world it's like toxic people toxic people and it's like I was the most toxic person. Oh,
1: I've totally had my toxic
0: moments. (laughs) It's like we could say, because, you know, I was sitting here in recovery, single, sober. I really didn't have anyone in my life. Honestly, it was just me. And I was like, shit, I'm the most toxic person. I'm toxic
1: to
0: myself and to those around me.
1: Can I tell a story about that?
0: Please go ahead.
1: I've been reflecting a lot on these very poignant times. And I was thinking, you know, I adore my parents and I, you know, but i was mad at them when as a young man when i was in my 20s or actually my teens and i was in college this was a time when ronald reagan was talking about winning nuclear wars right mm. <laughs> what do you, you know what do you even say to that right but this is i'm coming up of age into a world that felt completely insane and not aligned with my values and i remember my my folks said what would you like for graduation and i was you know and i was learning I as i was becoming an activist who eventually got into all the things that i was and i said you know i have enough stuff i don't i want it i wanted i want us as a family to to serve at a homeless shelter that's what i want for my college graduation and my parents couldn't figure it out or didn't prioritize it and we didn't do it and wow. I, like i just tell that story because, you know, it wasn't in their frame of reference. And um, there was a lot of anger, particularly me and my dad, we were banging heads, like, here's the firstborn son of a Jewish accountant, who's like going into activism and social work and community work. And I'm supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer or uh, a business leader of some kind, you know, because that's where I grew up. That's what I was being groomed to be. And his, you know, his son wants to like serve at a homeless shelter for graduate it just needless to say there was a lot of anger and a lot of smashing of heads like two rams. that was my 20s i adore my folks now and um we've done a lot of healing and i was reflecting on i was talking to my daughter who i was saying her, her she's 20 a sophomore in college and we were hanging out in the park on saturday for her birthday and just sharing some stories. And then our family had a Zoom party for her and we were telling stories. And I was remembering that I'm in a men's group and one of the things we do are service projects. And I hadn't put these two stories together, but one of the things we do about twice a year is we serve at a homeless shelter as a men's group and then invite our loved ones with us. And my daughter came with us when we were 13 years old for the first time and did it at least six or seven, uh, at least five or six times in that time, right? So it's like, anybody who's in that version of like, the and to my younger self, I have so much compassion. We're in this world that doesn't make sense. And if you're paying attention and like, it's so easy to be angry and, and I have a lot of compassion for that young man. I was like, this is insane. And I was mad at my folks because there was a lot of privilege there and I didn't have the vocabulary. And I was trying to find ways that we could do things together to try to be better humans be better humans and they didn't know how to respond and i was like just trying to figure out who i am and how do you make a living in this world and people are talking about winning nuclear wars and ah (laughs) and i came out in some pretty unskillful ways and i hurt my dad i hurt my family in those times right and and sometimes anyway i just have compassion for all involved and sometimes it's just like I had frames and skill set as a parent my daughter to put certain things into place that, that my family did their best they knew how to do and with somebody like me who's wired for intensity and and I'm going to say the thing that people don't always know how to work with that's how I'm wired but I can get more skillful at how I say the thing and I can say all right when I am in a position of leadership when I'm the parent I can do some things that maybe other folks just don't have reference points for, didn't know how to create, and they were busy, and um, they were dealing with their own stuff. So I just have a lot of compassion for all of the discomfort and anger and friction that we feel in those moments. And I try to, like, you know, gone back and apologize to my parents for the ways I, I was pretty... Pointed and and hurtful. And somehow that anger came out, try to apologize for it, but have a sense of there's a reason that anger was there. And it had to do with my values and looking around the world like, we're not going to survive. This isn't a world that we want to pass on to our kids, right? And then how do I get more skillful and granular so when I am in that position, I can do something about it.
0: I think that it takes a lot of courage to stand up for what you believe in, especially with our families. Um, I think most people don't stand up for what they believe in because there's a fear of being alone, fear of, ba- you know, for alone, we're basically dead, right? If that's uh that's what's really going on. It's like, well, my faith, my family doesn't love me. I'm going to be all alone. And if I'm all alone, then I'm basically dead. And so we just stick around and we, um, we are silent when we hear family members saying certain things or friends saying certain things, just outright racist remarks, outright, you know, just comments. And they don't even have to be outright. They're just a lot of time just underhanded. Right. Like yes. it's it, it's those nuanced ones that make my blood boil. It's not the outright yeah. ones are like, at least it's there. But then I can, you know, you know, when people say things that are like kind of underhanded and like, oh, you know, it's just like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's like, I know what you're trying to say, bro. Like, I know what you're saying right now without even you saying it. I think it takes a lot of courage on your part. It took a lot of courage on your part, Paul, to have to break that mold. Um, you know, I, I grew up in an Indian, first-generation Indian immigrant household. My dad's a CPA, actually. Um, my mother's a doctor, so there's that expectation of being a doctor, being an engineer. Uh, you, know, you, you, know, you, you know, basically being in the sciences and um, I didn't take that path, but I was also very lucky because I think I know that I think because, you know, my, my parents are immigrants and they came, you know, uh, my mom grew up poor, you know, she didn't have a lot of money uh, growing up. My dad grew up pretty well off in his family, but they always had the sense of, uh, they raised me to be a very empathetic and, and kind person. So like when I went down the path of like special ed and social work, they were all for it. They were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So I think for you, that takes a lot of courage that, uh, that you even allowed to show that anger because a lot of people just shut up and they're like, fine, forget it. What do you say to people? the person listening who has been up until this point and hopefully not moving forward, what do you say to the person who has idly been standing by and watching family mm. and friends say things that they know are wrong? Like there's mm. just something not right about it. How do you, what do you say to them? Like, how do you respond to that?
1: Nah, it's a beautiful question. Again, I'm a bit of a geek and so I I'd go to the research. One of the things that research has said over and over again, when humans have a desire to change some aspect of their life, it doesn't, imagine, it doesn't matter what it is. You wanna make a change in your eating or you wanna change uh, something in your business and do something to, to help you make uh, be more successful in your business or career or like how you're dealing with the people around you, the single biggest indicator, science proven, about whether we make changes in our lives and stick with them is social support. That's a, that's a research language. Think about 12-step programs. Think about support groups of all kinds. Think about, you know, n- well, yeah, right now, I don't know. <laughs> But like when you want to get fit, some people's best strategy is to join the gym, the right kind of gym, and work out with other people, right? That when you're in cultures that support the behavior that you're wanting to m- make more a part of your life, that's the single biggest thing we got in terms of research and humans wanting to change. So I try to pay a lot of attention. When I want to grow my business, I pay attention where I'm reaching out. If I want to grow my ability to really do anti-racist work, you know, I start hanging out with people like you and Lisa Renee Hall and Nicole Lee and like really try to, you know, find respectful and mutual ways to be in that learning community. and. I I do that more consciously now, but I've always, you know, I heard that research research. I'm very blessed. If anybody knows anything about, um, there's something called motivational interviewing, and it's, again, incredibly researched. And the guy who launched it is, you know, I live in downtown Albuquerque, the University of New Mexico. William Miller is where he developed motivational interviewing and his team, and that's about three miles from my house. Um, So it was an early early trained in motivational interviewing and you know, learned about 12-step programming as part of my um, personal journey and also my professional experience and doing this community work. And it's just like, okay, this is what the data says. I'm not going to fight the data. I'm going to leverage it for the, I'm a human. It says, this is how humans change effectively. Just do it, Paul. You want to change this? You know what it takes. Go up level your attention to social support and it'll stick. And I do that in many domains in my life.
0: I was thinking about this when you first mentioned your Jewish upbringing. I wonder if you were not Jewish, would you be on this path? Because I believe that, you know, Jews are obviously not treated, you know, they they I still have a stigma here too in the US the way we have anti-semitism in our country just like we have anti-black. You you know, Jews are the other also. They're the other. They're considered the other also, right? And I feel like if you weren't Jewish, maybe you would not have even felt the difference in your skin. Maybe you would you know, because mm-hmm. you had that whole layer, right? Being a Jew and I wonder if if you weren't Jewish, if you would be who you are today. Because mm-hmm. I think when you're in a bubble, I think about a, a, a white man that I know in my life, you know, just never really having to deal with any sort of feeling of otherness. Uh, you don't really have to do the work. And I mean that as, a, as like, that is your privilege. that like you don't have to really embark on, Right. understanding yourself and understanding the other person, because things are peachy keen. Things are peachy keen. No one's going to say anything to you. You might have a whole another set of drama and trauma where, you know, people may make fun of you for, you know, uh, maybe you're not as athletic. Maybe you're not as smart. Maybe you're not as good looking, whatever, all the kind of external stuff. But do you think that you being born into the Jewish faith, the Jewish community definitely is one of the reasons why you're even on this path of like even having to look at yourself because you had to deal with that feeling of otherness from a young age.
1: Certainly. I remember in Halloween, you know, one um, year coming home and somebody had painted a swastika on our house with shaving cream and it baked in and we had, you know, like, you know, certainly we we grew in the neighborhood i grew up in the and in the town i grew up in there were very few jews um there's it mostly uh, italians and irish americans and other german whatever but there are very few jews um so um certainly it, i had an experience of otherness and also i had a community like again like i said in my early childhood jewish education we were learning about otherness because Jews have a history of thousands of years of being yeah. yeah. othered to the point of like it's an amazing feat of just thousands of people and many generations doing their utmost to survive untenable circumstances. That I'm even here and that we're talking, right? And passing on the wisdom of what it took for the for me to be here was very much on the. It was something that the leaders in our tradition have paid a lot of attention to. That said, I would still say, so you can't understand Paul Elizur without understanding I come from a proge- progressive Jewish tradition. There's no way, There's, yeah, you know, yeah. And that said, I'd still say if somebody's like, oh, I want to up level my game in diversity, equity, and inclusion, anti-racist work, anti-sexist work, like whatever the piece is, no matter where you come from find social support. It's why I'm so passionate about what we do in Awarepreneurs. We don't do like a, hey, what if you've never had an experience growing up as an other, you can't come into our community, right? We don't, we don't do that. We just say, hey, we are a community that values this very deeply. And if you don't, you're in the wrong place. We don't care where you come from to start, but we do ask you to look at that. One of the earliest prompts in Lisa Renee Hall's work, or many of the earliest prompts, writing prompts about what did you get growing up just like you know if we're going to unpack unconscious bias we got to see what you got right and um you can't be out there in the world relating you know some of my mentors here in new mexico remember i i live in albuquerque new mexico i've lived in new mexico since 1993. i've never you know this is the longest place i've lived anywhere in my life and i've had to unpack because who lives here again remember highest proportion of people of color and i was doing community work for 15 years right i mostly i'm used to sitting in circles professionally and and very diverse circles personally as well people that don't look like me Mm -hmm. that's my embodied experience since 1993 right so um whatever background you come from I want to say you can make choices about where you choose to dig in for a white person that goes to the personal development spaces that are mostly white and then like throws up something on Facebook that says, you know, it's horrible that George Floyd died. Somebody should do something. You're sunk. You're just part of the problem.
0: You're not going to
1: change. It's yeah. not you, you. You're you're swimming in a soup of white supremacy, and oh, mm-hmm. like that, just it's not going to change. It takes some skillful, you know, unpacking. That's why I'm such a huge fan of Lisa Renee Hall's work, but also being in community where people have other perspectives. And if that's not your embodied experience, yeah, you're just going to stay. Maybe you'll move the needle one half of one slight degree in the direction of a little less racist, and maybe your kid will move it one half, but I don't think we have that kind of time as humans. I feel a sense of urgency and want to say to somebody who feels like, you know, maybe your family's homophobic, and if you're in a circle and you swim in that soup and everybody you swim with is homophobic and you don't have anybody who has different perspectives and has unpacked it, chances you're going to move it effectively is just about zero.
0: And it and it does. And I was going to say, you know, if, if that's the case and you're swimming in there, you're shit out of luck unless the pain becomes so great that you want to change it. Because I'm going to just say this straight up. I believe in the power of people changing, I really do, but I also know that most people do not change. Most people do not change because we it has to become unbearable right We have very high threshold for pain. I know i do i 'm speaking only from personal experience, but also being working with people for the past ten years. People come to me when they 're like i can 't take it anymore. Yeah. I need to change this. I need to change that, and if you 're swimming in your whiteness and you don't really have to you don't really you know like honestly the only kind of pain that you have to experience is you know by watching a video on a phone you know what I mean and you don't really have to experience it and you are you yourself are apathetic to your own feelings right and and that's why I say this in a lot of my messaging too Paul It's like it starts with you right if you cannot bear If if, if the pain and the and the oppression of another human being is unbearable for you to really handle, it's because your own capacity to be with your own pain is very limited. So it starts with you getting in touch with your own pain. Like if you feel outraged by what's going on, feel angry. You got, but you got to do something with that anger, right? It's not just throwing up a post and saying I'm outraged. It's what's next. Whether it's to read a book, whether it's to you know go on social media and like read the work and understand the work and apply the work of people doing anti-racist work you know what i mean it's like that like what is the action that you're going to take so what's your what's your two cents on this what do you think like for that person who's listening and you know they've put up a few social media posts and they're like okay what is the next step for them
1: it's a great question mercy you know i like I said, tomorrow we have this episode for awarepreneurs going live. Right? What are you doing to end racism? Um, but fill in any other form of, you know, inequality or oppression that you're feeling heat around. But obviously, for obvious reasons, right now we're talking a lot about racism, and we should be. Um, I want to say, in addition to like George Floyd, um, we're reading articles that um, the highest concentration of. Uh, coronavirus deaths in the world seems to be in farming um, communities where um, Latino, you know, Latinx and Hispanic farmers are dying um, at like literally the highest rates in the world, you know, are um, because they're working in close proximity and sleeping in kind of dorm style with no attention to uh, PPE, um, protective gear, um, also in the navajo reservation which half of it's in new mexico and half of it is in arizona um, people are dying on un- the only place there's a higher concentration of uh, coronavirus is in new york and that's on the way down and navajo land it's skyrocketing other mm. communities as well um so th- people are literally dying from these inequalities and these structural issues for me it's about in these stories that I'm telling, I tell three stories on the podcast. One of them is Lisa Renee Hall. Um, One of them is a fabulous woman named Nicole Lee, who's um, doing a, absolutely, she has a Facebook group called Inclusive Life. Highly recommend it. It's free. Lisa's work is like like three or $5 a month to be a patron of hers, right? And there's hundreds of people in both of these communities. One's free, one will cost you like $5 a month. Like, and uh, the third story I tell is a, a colleague of mine here, Genevieve Chavez-Mitchell, who does conscious money work. And we're doing um, some activism around social entrepreneurship in New Mexico. And New Mexico is the 50th of 50 state economies in terms of the robustness and just the sheer numbers of dollars, wow. we're literally at the bottom of the barrel. Um, so anything you do here to move the needle, and because of who lives here, if you enhance the economy, you make the lives better for many people of color and and people who are literally at the bottom of the barrel in terms of um we have many strengths but not dollars passing through our economy so tell those three stories for me personally it's about it has to be in long-term commitment right there has to be a sense of genuine relationship these three women i've known them all the least is nicole and i think i've known nicole five years four years now i've known lisa a decade Genevieve. Um, for almost a decade, right? It has to be long-term. It has to be about mutuality and relationship, right? I don't just like lean into Lisa and say, hey, there's some racist thing going on. What should I do? Like, How are you? Genevieve lives here. I've been to her house and we played music with her and her husband and they've come to my house. And we've had dinner together, right? Um, more than one occasion, right? Like we go for walks. Anyway, you get the idea what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And it has to be grounded in community, um, for, for me, anyway, that, that's what makes it effective. And um, both Lisa and Nicole have very, Nicole's is free. Lisa's, like, you could start at $3 a month to be part of a community of people who are dedicatedly, it's a practice. And just like spiritual teachers knew this like forever, the Buddha said, when you're trying to develop as a spiritual being, there's three crown jewels, right? three crown jewels. There's the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. There's the teacher, right? Somebody who's kind of passing on the wisdom tradition that they've been coached and cultivated and shown how to be a leader in an intentional way. There's the teachings. There's something that you're learning and studying. Of the three, the Buddha said, however long ago that was, the most valuable is the Sangha, is the community. It's It's a place where you go to do spiritual practice, And it's by far the most valuable jewel. So, if somebody's wondering what does Paul think, I think I've said it pretty clearly now. Get yourself a community of practice if you want to change these types of things in your life. And if you do it alone and isolated, and you read a book, you know, no behavior, no significant behavioral change comes from that approach, in my opinion.
0: It's like any change in your life, right? It's like first being willing to admit that you don't know, right? I'm going to, I'm going to look at the, the uh, 12 step, right? First thing is to admit that you're powerless. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm helpless. I'm powerless. Like that is the absolute first step. But then, you know, really surrendering to, okay, I don't know. So, you know, in the 12 step program, we turn our life and will over to God. But in this case, it might be, you know, I'm going to turn the fact that I don't know what to do over to, community that does know or i need to join a community or need to get access to good articles not some bullshit that's written by someone who has never actually done the work they're just writing it you know what i mean so thank you so much for saying that about the community and for people who um want to join your community awarepreneurs what do they need to do
1: if if somebody wants to feel into like is it right for you that's the first question mm-hmm. we have a podcast so we have 127 episodes or something like that literally you could spend weeks you know like they're 40 hour weeks and we have 127 episodes and they're each 55 minutes long go listen it's yeah. free. good you go listen to vosity's episode listen to what we're talking about and the themes and the style if it resonates with you then might be a good fit if it doesn't go check out some these other communities that i mentioned if somebody is interested after listening you can go to the website at awarepreneurs.com and click on the community tab and it'll describe a little bit about it and we're technically um, you join the community on patreon that's uh, patreon.com awarepreneurs but just go to the website click on the big yellow button that says community if you got any questions go to our contact page and say hey paul how do you do this or what does it look like there's different levels there. I don't know which level to join. Any way I can be helpful to somebody, A, is it the right community for you? And if you think it might be and what level might be useful to you, happy to be a resource in those conversations.
0: Thank you so much, Paul. And I, uh, I, I love to ask this question to all my guests, uh, being that this is the Being Human with Vossity podcast. What does being human mean to you?
1: That's a great question, being human mean to me. Um, Being human for me means that I have the opportunity and the gift and the responsibility, response, able to live with intent. Every wisdom, tradition, every teacher that I know has said the single most powerful resource we have as humans is our awareness, is our consciousness, is our choicefulness, whatever word you choose to use for that, right? Um, so to use, to be aware of that—that's an empowering aspect and my most precious resource. And to make life choices and decisions accordingly, that's what I think makes that—that's the most powerful aspect of being. Human.
0: Yeah, being human is being that awareness it's it's having the awareness and being that awareness and living our lives according to that awareness right being aware but not doing anything with that awareness is pointless so i I, there's a reason
1: i called it awarepreneurs i I, I get it i'm I'm on the same i I get it i am eye to eye
0: here well i just want to say thank you so much for being here today uh i i really love talking to you you are uh a very how do I say this? You are so poignant and like, I, you're so deliberate with the words that you use. Mm-hmm. And in a world where people just don't think before mm-hmm. they talk and they just say, I really respect how much you, cho- you choose your words carefully because what you say does matter. And you know mm-hmm. that you're impacting other people um, listening to this interview, watching it, you know, because it'll be up on YouTube as well. So just thank you so much for being so deliberate and being so intentional and using your awareness for good. I appreciate you.
1: Thank you. I so appreciate you. And and what you're doing with your show, as you know I'm a huge podcast fan and and you're do you you do well. So just a bow to you for what you do, and how you do it.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode on the Being Human with Vasavi podcast. For even more inspiration, motivation, and no BS advice on how to get anything you want in life, book a call with me over at vasavikumar.com. If you love today's episode, be sure to screenshot it and tag me at Hire Vasavi, H-I-G-H-E-R Vasavi. Feeling extra generous? Leave the podcast a positive review on iTunes. And remember this. When you know yourself, you can be, do, and have anything you want. If you love today's episode, then say it out loud. Subscribe, leave a review, and come say hi over on Instagram at my name is Vasavi. Until next time, say it out loud.